um, dealing with the gospel of God. Um, and the subtitle there is um, Dealing with the Aggressor. Dealing with the Aggressor. So let's just bow before God in prayer, shall we? Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much that we have worshipped you. We have sung praises to your name. And some of those words have really connected with some of us, Lord. Some of us here have seen our sins being forgiven by Jesus Christ. Some of us here have known that you look at us with mercy and with love and pardon us and see Jesus instead of seeing us. Some of us realize that, Lord, and some of us, our hearts are just warmed and and full of praise and thankfulness to you. Father, thank you for what you have done already. Gracious God, we pray that you will take this next few moments, Lord, and use these few moments to speak into the hearts of your church and your people. Lord, I have nothing to say by myself, Lord. I, I pray that your word will speak. Anything of myself will be left behind, but everything that you need to get across, Lord, every, every word that can be planted in the hearts of men today will grow to the praise and to the glory of your holy name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week we um, saw how Romans, the powerful book of Romans, we saw how that had to change your life. There's no two ways about it. If you've been reading the book of Romans, if you've been reading the, um, the wonderful verses there, you cannot be the same. You have to change. And um, you need to learn. Last week we learned that you need to know what it is to love one another. You need to learn what it is to honor someone else higher than yourselves. You need to look forward to heaven. I don't know how many Christians really look forward to actually seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. So many Christians probably look forward to the next summer vacation, you know, the next summer break, looking forward to booking a a ticket to to, to a, a sunny destination. But how about thinking about heaven, seeing Christ, being released from this body of decay and weakness and finally seeing our glorious king. That's, that's wonderful. And, and if you believe the truths in Romans, then that will stir your heart. You begin to say, yeah, I really want God more than I want what this world has to offer me. But not only does it change you from, and, and cause you to be different inside the church, it should also change you when you're outside the church. It's no good being a Christian around these four walls and saying it's okay. Roman, the book of Romans will teach you how to be different outside where it matters, where the rubber hits the road. How to be different out there. And so these following verses look at that. We know it seems to me that there's um, different sections of our society can often view Christians as weak, spineless, without any grit 
no backbone. You know, you can look at Christians over in the academic world. If you're an academic and you love studying and you're a Christian in the academia society, there's people there who will think that if you're a Christian, then you're weak to believe the Bible. You're believing fairy tales and you're believing in miracles. How can you be an academic? And, and people in the world of academia will look down at you if you're a Christian. Right through our whole society, if you end up in prison, and you're a Christian in prison, then people around you in that prison cell, in that, in that prison wing, will look down on you, and they will think that you're a pushover because you are a Christian. All over our society, it seems to me that many people see Christians as weak, without grit, without backbone. But the truth is entirely different. The truth is entirely different. In our history books, we have a a man called um, Dr. Martin Luther King. And Dr. Martin Luther King made huge strides in his fight for civil rights for black people in America in the 1950s, 1960s. He died in 1968, was assassinated. But in his struggle for civil rights, Dr. Martin Luther King used the principles in the Bible, especially in the book of Romans, non-violence. And because he used non-violence, because he used the message of love, Martin Luther King conquered and changed the course of history in America. You see, the Bible teaching and the Christian message is not weak, it's not without grit, it's not without strength. Indeed, it has much strength and much power, even though our world sees power and strength in other things. When you have a military leader in his country, when he's going to do something military-wise, he normally rolls out his whole military. He sees his tanks and his warheads. He has his planes flying over. has all the army marching um, across his path. And he does that because he wants to see how powerful his country is. You get the picture. Or maybe... Our society sees power in money. If you have money, then you can manipulate people. If you have money, then you can do what you what others can't do. If you have money, you have influence. And our society, our world, sees power and strength in finance and in money. But the Bible has a complete different way of showing what real strength and real power is. That's my message today. My message is going to look at what is real strength. It's not how much money you have. It's not how much um, um, uh, influence you have. It's not how much nuclear warheads you may have. It's not how hard you work out in the gym. All these things are not true power or strength. But the Bible tells us what is true power and what is true strength and how to deal with 
the aggressor. Okay, let's look in, let's go into this. There's two headings. The first one is this doing something. As Paul wrote the letter to Romans, the church here was suffering from persecution. Persecution is a real issue for the early church. The people here were hated simply because they were Christians. No other reason. Simply because they wouldn't bow to Caesar. They wouldn't worship other gods. Simply because they would worship Jesus and Jesus alone, they were hated for that. Seems strange to us, but that is what was happening in our history books. Christians were hated simply because they followed Jesus. Now, Jesus said that will happen, didn't he? Look what he said in the word. He said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that he hated me first. The world hates you, keep in mind that he hated me first. So the early church had to be prepared. They had something that of extreme value. They had the love of God upon them. Extreme value. And it seems to me that the world wanted to strip them from that. That relationship with God. That closeness with God. The world seems to want to come against the Christian and strip them from that. And you and I have the same thing that they had. We, the Bible tells me, we are loved by God. The Bible tells me that God loves you so much that he calls you heirs, co-heirs. In other words, you will inherit what Christ has. He will give to you what Jesus owns. You are an heir because he loves you. The Bible even tells me that Jesus, even now, is praying for you. Do you know when somebody says to you, I'm praying for you, you feel comforted? Or when you're going through something, you phone up somebody, you say to somebody, can you please pray for me? I want to tell you this morning, the Bible tells me that Jesus is praying for you every single moment of every single day. He's interceding, praying for you by name. In fact, the Bible tells me this wonderful truth. Look at this. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Although that is true, the world in which we live will try its best to separate you from that love. In this world that we live, the world will try its best to make your fire for God to go out, your light to shine dimly, for you to be a, a, a disgrace in the things of God. The world will try its best. Even though that love from God will never separate from you, the world will try its best to destroy your witness. 
I had um, a text message this week from a Christian man. And he texted me and he said to me um, in his text, let me read his text to you. He said to me in his text, um, I had an argument with my son. He texted me. Because when we argue, I lower my game badly and feel ashamed. In other words, what you were saying, that his son is in his 30s and they had an argument and he began to swear and to curse and to do things that he didn't or shouldn't do as a Christian. And he said to me, I lowered my game and I felt so ashamed. I have another person that I know, he became a Christian a few years ago. And as he became a Christian, he says to me that his wife doesn't like him as a Christian. And not only that, his two sons have no respect for him anymore. Because when he was in the world, he was a, a wheeler and a dealer, and he made money behind, you know, under the table. He'd done things that he shouldn't do. But now he's a Christian, he decided to do things properly. But his sons look at him, and he says, they don't respect me anymore because I've decided to go the right way. When I was younger, I was involved with a, a, a youth work with... Um, working with Asian young people, taking them to an Asian camp and, and, and sharing the gospel with them. I want to tell you, some of those young boys and girls, 17, 80, became Christians, and they went home to their families and told their parents that they're leaving Hinduism, and they're leaving Islam, and they're leaving Buddhism, and they're following Christ. It wasn't easy for them. Now we face those sort of persecution. We face those sort of difficulty in the world. It may be different for you in your situation, but you will face issues that will be challenging, that will cause you to want to hide and feel ashamed because you, you completely lost it. And you feel, how can, I, how can I stand up? How can I put my head up and say I'm a Christian where I've acted so shamefully and these sort of things come at us from different quarters, even from our own family, in our own home, amongst our own friends. Now Paul turns around and says this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. You know, this blessing is not a flimsy, passive thing. Some of you had the unfortunate um, situation where you had to watch on TV something like Father Ted or um, the Vicar of Dimbley. Foolish TV. And what you will see is people saying, oh, bless you, my son. Bless you, my daughter. And so we look at this word of it, blessing is such a weak thing, because these guys, they do it. That's not the blessing the Bible's talking about. The blessing the Bible is talking about is an active thing. The blessing the Bible is talking about is a verb, something in which you will do. If someone is against you, you are actively, actively, to go out and do them good. That is the word bless those 
those who persecute you. Bless and do not go. Don't just say, I bless you. No, the Bible is saying you need to actively go out and do that person who's cursed you good. Why? I can hear somebody saying, where on earth would I want to do that? Why on earth do I want to do something good to someone who obviously does not like me? Listen, by blessing them, by doing them good, you are effectively disarming. See, they thought that they had the upper hand. They think they've got power over you. They think that they've got strength in the situation. But if you turn the tables and bless them and do something good to them, guess what? You have the strength and the power in that situation. The Bible turns things upside down. It's not a person who's hating you and, and angry with you and hostile to you suddenly sees you praying for them and blessing them and doing them good, suddenly you become the one with the strength. Now, I'm not saying that it's easy. It's not easy. The reason why it's not easy is because we've got a sinful nature that is arrogant and proud. That's why it's not easy. Remember the temptation in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, the temptation was not just to eat the fruit the temptation was, you will be like God. And we still have that. We still want to be the top dog. We still want to be the, the cat's whiskers, the, the bee's knees, whatever you want to say. We want to be the person in charge. And the sinful nature still works like that. So it's not easy to turn around to a person who hates you, to a person who's aggressive towards you, a person who does not like you is not easy. Because when it happens, we want to take it to the next level. We want to say, yeah, you can be mean to me, I'm going to take it out. Take it, just take it outside, let's talk about this. And we return evil for evil. But we are instructed to weaken our enemy and to weaken them by blessing them and doing them good. Jesus, again, is our supreme example, isn't he? Do you remember that time when people grabbed hold of him, whipped him with a whip, put a crown of thorns on his head, slapped him in the face, spat on him, who pro prophesied, who hit you? Hit him with a stick again and again, then dragged him up to a place called the skull, where they laid him out on the cross. The Bible says that they nailed him to the cross. Huge, horrible, fat nails were driven into his hands and into his feet. And while he was nailed on that cross on the floor, they hoisted him up and placed him in a hole there. And he stood there naked on this cross, numbered with all the other criminals. Do you know what he said? Father, I'm going to pray for these people. I'm going to pray for those enemies of mine, of yours. I'm going to pray for them because no one else is praying for them. All my disciples are hating them and run away. No one else is 
for the Romans. No one else is praying for the horrible Jews who got me in this mess in the front. No one else is praying, but I am going to pray. Father, forgive them. I'm going to do them good. I want you, oh God, to forgive, cleanse them. And do you know what? Jesus was not only praying for those men around the cross on those days. He was praying for you and me in that prayer. Because even though we weren't there, we were responsible. Our sins were responsible for nailing Jesus Christ on that cross. In fact, we sing a song here. And that song says something like, I hear my mocking voice. My mocking voice. Saying, crucify him. Away with him. We don't want this man to rule over me. That's what we said in the past. Anyone who's a Christian today would have confessed, I have said in the past, I don't want Jesus ruling my life. And because we've said that, Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So, dealing with the aggressor, dealing with your enemy, dealing with someone that doesn't like you, the Bible says, if you know Romans, if you know how much he loves you, if you know how much he's done for you, then you need to, when you go out there, to bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do them good. Find a way of doing something to them or for them. And turn around and say, I can't believe that guy. I'd go and say thank you to him now. Because they realize that you're not returning their hate with hate. Doing something. My first point. My second point is completely different. Doing nothing. Doing nothing. What do I mean by that? Well, we are told not to repay evil by evil, but what are we told to do? Look what the Bible says here in our reading. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. How many people want to take revenge for the wrong that has happened? I've heard many stories in this church. One of the stories that sticks in my mind, and Lee Wilson's not here today, but Lee will stand up. Lee Wilson, some of you don't know him, but he's from Wickford. Lee Wilson lost an eye in a fight. And Lee said that he was going to do nothing else but plan this man's murder. That's his whole intention. He wanted to take revenge. I was speaking to my friend Jeff Cunningham at the back here last week. He tells me that in the East End, revenge was all, all about. If anyone done anything wrong to you, you had to revenge them and, and take it back out to them and take it to their doorstep. Some of you might have read um, Ez Kittel's book. We had a copy, one or two copies floating around, but Ez Kittel booked, he tells in that book, the story at one night when he goes into a nightclub because he wants to take revenge on someone 
he'd done his friend wrong. And when he went into that nightclub, he sustained life-changing injuries. But not only men who want revenge, you know, women are the same way. They want revenge as well sometimes. You know, the woman who hates the, or gets angry at the, 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 the woman in the, at the school gate, maybe. Maybe she was rude, or maybe she was doing something, and this nice lady is now in her kitchen, watching, washing her plates, or doing her housework, and she's thinking, what can I do to that lady to get her back? Maybe I can undo the wheel of her buggy or something, and, you know, <laughs> get her back somehow. We're all able to have this revenge mentality about us. Thinking what we could do. Maybe we'll never carry it out, but we're thinking what we could do to get back. But the Bible says that we should not repay evil for evil. We shouldn't give back what's given to us. Someone said, well, why not? Why not? Doesn't the Bible say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Shouldn't I give that person back what he gave me? Surely I should do that. My dear friends, take one step back. If God gave you and repaid you evil for the evil what you have done. Let's put it another way. If God gave you what you deserve, none of us will be breathing. Let's be honest. If God gave you what you really deserve, even for one or two of the things you may have been in your mind thinking that no one else knows about. If God gave you what you deserve, you would not be sitting in the house of God this morning, worshipping him and praising him. No. God does not do that. And so, we are instructed in the word of God. Romans chapter 12 says this. Do not be overcome with evil. Do not... Be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. It says that God says, do not take revenge. The Bible turns around and says, I will take the revenge. Do not take revenge, my dear friend, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. Leave room. Now, God may do two things. If you leave it to God to take revenge on your enemies, he may do two things. The first thing he may do, he may choose to save your enemy. He may choose to save the person that you do not like the person who makes you angry, the person that makes you vexed, the person that really gets under your skin, he may choose to save that person. Just like he saved you. Some of us, um, Jonathan Smith was talking to me uh, today about the, um, the Michael Watson um, testimony night that some of us went to and um, one of the things about the whole Michael Watson thing was that Michael Watson fought Nigel Benn back in the uh, 80s, 90s and they both hated one another in fact if you look on the press conference 
they were nose to nose. You know how they, they do it, you know, they're rubbing nose with one another and, you know, foreheads and all that sort of stuff. All that aggression that these men show at a boxing uh, press conference. Well, they were like that. They were against one another. Enemies in the ring. Even now, Watson will turn around and say something like, I destroyed the dark destroyer, he says. Completely enemies. But what happened is that God showed grace to Michael Watson and saved him and brought him to Christ. But God didn't stop there. God showed grace to Nigel Ben and stopped him and brought him to Christ. Two men that was opposed to one another, two men that didn't like one another, were both brought into the kingdom of God. And the Bible says that your enemies, those people who do not like you, may also today be God's enemies. And what does God do to his enemies? Well, the Bible tells me what God does to his enemies. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you, but brought you to Christ by his physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Once you are alienated, enemies, what God does to your enemies, if they're his enemies, God reconciles. He brings them close to himself and he forgives them. God can do that to your enemies as well. You may be sitting there saying, oh, I wish you wouldn't. But God can. The second thing God does, that's one, he may choose to save your enemy, but he also may choose to judge your enemies. God has another option. That option is always open to him. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews. For we know him who said, it's mine to avenge, I will repay I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Listen to this. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a dreadful thing. You see, we love preaching that God is a God of love and mercy and grace and compassion. He's kind and he's always for you, never against you. That is true. But it's also true that it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Which hand are you in at the moment? That's the question. If you're a Christian, then you're over there. You're in a hand where God showed you mercy and grace. But it's also true that some people here this morning can be in a hand of the living God. And it's a dreadful thing, the Bible says, to be in that hand of the living God. Yes, God will judge his people. In fact, the Hebrew writer goes on to say, for our God is a consuming fire. God is not a pushover. He's not weak. In fact, the Bible tells me this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from their flesh will reap destruction. God is no pushover. And when God 
when you, when, and when you leave the wicked, your enemy, in God's hand, God will do much worse to your enemy than what you can ever dream of doing. Once you leave those people who hate you and despise you, and you leave them in God's hands, God will deal with them. It is mine to revenge, says the Lord. I will repay. And you leave it in God's hands, God will do far worse than what you can do. In fact, the Bible tells me that there's an eternal fire. The Bible tells me there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In fact, Jesus said these words, Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. All those who are outside of Christ, every single person outside of Christ, face this kind of message. It's a terrible message. It's a message that most preachers don't want to preach. And I can understand why they don't want to preach it because it's not, a, it's not a comfortable message. But it's true anyway. Jesus said that. Jesus, the one who's meek and mild and compassionate. Jesus who healed the sick, raised the dead. Jesus who preached, love your enemies. Jesus who proclaimed that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said these words. I tell you who you should fear. Do not fear man, but fear him who has the power to throw both body and soul into hell. Therefore, there is no point. If you realize that, there's no point in hating your enemy or returning evil for evil. If you know this, guess what you'll be doing? You'll be saying, God, no one deserves to go to hell. No one deserves eternal punishment. Even though I do not like him, even though he's been mean to me or she's been horrible to me, no one deserves that, Lord. So therefore, I'm going to pray that you may have mercy on them, oh God. No one deserves to go down there. I'm not going down there, and I deserve it. But no one should go down there. So I'm going to pray, Lord, please have mercy upon that man, even though he's my enemy. Have mercy upon that woman, even though she doesn't like me and she's mean to me, have mercy and I'm going to do them good because maybe by me doing them good, they might come back to me and say something like, why are you so nice? Why aren't you returning me evil for evil? What have you got that I haven't? And the answer is simple. I've got Jesus Christ living and dwelling within me. Nothing else. Because if I was left to myself, I would put a knife in your back a long time ago. But because Jesus has transformed me, Jesus has changed me. Jesus is still changing me. And the amount of times I've been angry at you and angry at others, I've realized that if I do good to you and I show you mercy and love, then God will deal with you himself. And the very fact that God is melting your heart and changing you is a work of his spirit, not my work at all. You see, God has said, do not repay. 
Do not repay evil for evil. Leave room for God. And when you leave room for God, then all the stress, all the bitterness, all the frustration that you feel towards that person will dissipate and go away. Because God is going to take care of it. He's going to deal with it. And maybe that person will come to a knowledge of the truth. You see, Christianity is not a Sunday morning thing. Some people think it is. Oh, it's 11 o'clock, time for church. Let me put my Sunday hat on and my Sunday clothes on and let me be my Sunday best and come to church because it's Sunday. No, it's not a Sunday thing. Christianity is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week lifestyle. You're changed inside the church. And so you love others because of the gospel in Romans and the whole book of the Bible. But you're also changed outside in the workplace, in the marketplace, in the office, on the street, in the gym, at leisure. Wherever you go, Christianity works powerfully. Breaking down strongholds, bringing in forgiveness, open up doors of love and reconciliation. You as a Christian go out and you do good in the name of Christ because it gives glory and praise to God. It's not about Sunday. It's probably more about Monday. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for your word. Some people say the Bible is archaic, it's old, why should we read it, why should we look at it? But Lord, your Bible, your word 